Thanks for listening to the LifePoint Church podcast. Visit us online at lifepointcentral.com. This morning, but happy Easter. You all look awesome this morning. Uh, I want to ask a question as I start off. How many of you love a good story? Yeah, everybody loves a good story. And here's why I think we love good stories, because we like the happy ending. Right? We, we like the happy ending at the end, and um, we, we love when things work out. And, and, and I was thinking about that. So, so we're, we love to hear these stories, and we love the happy ending. And, and, and maybe for you, it's when the guy gets the girl at the end of the movie. And that's why we have the Hallmark Channel. Every Christmas, you tune in and you watch cheesy movies. We do at my house. We didn't watch as many last year just for some reasons, but um, here's how it goes. Person moves back to their old town, (laughs) runs into their ex who just happened to end a relationship and now they're available. They start falling in love again until they think they see them liking someone else, so they break up. And then all of a sudden they find out that wasn't real. They come together at the end. They have the big kiss in the snowfalls. It's the same movie, everyone. But you watch it. Like a fourth of the way in, I'm like, here's how this movie is going to go. Or maybe it's not the boy gets the girl. Maybe it's the hero defeats the villain. That's why Marvel Studios is a $25 billion industry, because we tune in, we love to see the, the hero defeat the villain. Or, or maybe you're into the adventure movie, you know, where the misfits come together, and somehow they form a team, and at the end, they win. Or, or one of my favorites, how many love a good underdog story? You just love the underdog, where everything's stacked against them. But somehow, some way, they fight their way through. They shouldn't be a champion, but at the end, they do. How many of you remember Rudy? Rudy, Rudy. So my staff is younger than I am, and I was telling them about um, the underdog. I said, y'all remember the movie Rudy? Half of them were like, Rue who? Like, they never heard of it. I'm like, you have a Google assignment this week to watch Rudy. Maybe if it wasn't Rudy, everybody knows Rocky, right? Yo, Adrian, everybody remembers Rocky. Maybe a little more current one. If you haven't seen The American Underdog yet, you might want to check that movie out. That's an awesome movie. But uh, uh, we, we do like the, the happy ending. And my wife and I were binge watching this series actually recently. And we started watching this series, and it started having all this twist to the plot and things that happened out of nowhere and challenges that this family went through, and we got glued to it. Has anyone ever been watched like on Netflix and like an episode ends and it's about to start a new another one, but it's like midnight? And you're like, just one more. So we're like, we're gonna watch the end of this series. Four o'clock in the morning. We were so frustrated. Here's why. It resolved nothing. They didn't explain anything. The series just ended. We went to bed mad that night, but it's, it's disappointing. It's, it's frustrating. Um, but I think more than a happy ending is all of the affliction, adversity, challenges, 
setbacks that the characters go through to get to the happy ending is what makes it so valuable at the end. And so this morning I want to talk about the Easter story. I'm just going to simply call it his story, which I believe is the best story to ever be revealed. But I think we have to be very sensitive about the Easter story because we have a tendency to go from zero to 80. And we fast forward to an empty tomb and to an empty grave. And as, as valid as that is, there were a lot of plots and twists and turns and adversity on the way before we ever got to an empty tomb. And I want to highlight a few of those uh, this morning as we explain the Easter story, which we're just going to call his story. We know the ending, but what made the ending so valuable? Uh, is what I want to talk about for a few moments. How, how many of you ever have had a, a moment or a time or a challenge where your mind was just tormented with thoughts? There was something that you dreaded. There was something that you regretted over. There was something that you, you just went through a mental battle over. Anyone, anyone relate to that? Well, here's what I believe, first of all, that Jesus, who is obviously the object of our story, Jesus really suffered in his mind. As Jesus got to the last few days of his life, 33 years on this planet, God's only son, he suffered in his mind. And I, I want to take you to a place, it's called the Garden of Gethsemane. In Luke chapter 22, I want to read you a, a few verses. And the Bible says this, that Jesus went out to the Mount of Olives, as he often did, and his disciples went with him. And when he got there, he told them, pray that you won't be tested. Jesus walked a little bit before them, and he knelt down, and he began to pray. So Jesus went into the garden with, with a few of his disciples, his team, and he went a little bit further into the garden. He told them to stay there and pray, and he went further, and he began to pray, and this was his prayer. He said, Father, if you will please, don't make me suffer by drinking from this cup, but do what you want and not what I want. Then an angel from heaven came to help him. Jesus was in great pain, and he prayed so sincerely that his sweat fell to the ground like drops of blood. The Bible said that in this moment, Jesus was grieving. Jesus was, was going through uh, mental anguish. Jesus was suffering in his mind. It literally meant that he had a burden in his mind. And this burden in his mind, the, the text of the language gives us this idea that it was almost to the point of death. This is strong, strong mental challenge, mental torment. And the Bible said that Jesus was so stressful over what he was about to face that his blood began to clot and it actually exited his body through his sweat glands. How many would agree that's a pretty intense moment? It's actually a, a really serious physical condition. I can't pronounce the long word. But, but so Jesus was stressing. He's praying to God, his father, and he's praying, God, let this next phase please depart from me. I don't want to go through this. I don't want to face this. I don't want to have to walk through this, but nonetheless, don't let it be what I want. Let it be what you desire. But what was it that would cause Jesus so much stress? What would it be that would cause Jesus so much mental anguish and torment? What would the challenge be? Well, there were some things on the mind of Jesus. Uh, so, some things like this that was on his mind. It was the burden of the cross that was before him. See, the, the cross to us, we look at it as a, a memorial. We look at, at it as a positive thing. Many of you probably this morning may have a, a cross around your neck. 
But the cross at that time, compared to us today, it would be like an electric chair. I've never seen anyone wearing an electric chair, or, or we, we'd think that was weird if they wore it around their neck. But it was a place. It was a point of shame. It was a a, a, a point of torment. It was a point where criminals would find their demise. And Jesus was stressing. Jesus was full of anxiety, even dreading what he went through, because Jesus, you know, left everything that made him. Uh, uh, he, the Bible said he emptied of his glory, so he became a man like you and me. So he was dreading the cross that he was about to face. He was also dreading to face that although he had never committed one actual sin, the sin of mankind, that would be your sin, that would be my sin, it was about to be put on his shoulders. He was going to bear the burden of our sin, something Jesus had never, ever in his life experienced. Not only was he dreading the sin that he was about to face, he was dreading the fact that he would actually die and descend into hell. So at this moment in the garden, Jesus was tormented of these thoughts of everything he did not deserve would be thrust on him. See, he was about to take on your addiction. He was about to take on your issues. He was about to take on your failures. And he was about to take on everything that you've ever done wrong was about to be put on someone who was innocent. And so I don't want to fast forward through a moment where Jesus is praying in the garden so hard, so sincerely that the Bible says he was on the verge of dying from the torment, that he began to sweat out blood. He began at this moment to be weakened. Why? Because he was thinking about what he would go through, but yet something kept him going and something kept him going forward that he said, God, it's not really what I want. It's not about my stress, my anxiety, or my worry over this. It is absolutely about what you sent me here to do. It's about the people in the future. But Jesus suffered in his mind. So he had, to, he had to have a moment of beginning to overcome what was going on in his mind. Not only did he suffer in his mind, the Bible tells us then that he actually suffered in his body. And you know what it's like if you've ever suffered something physically. It's, it's very disabling. It's, it's not only disabling in a physical sense, it's, it's very disabling in, in, in your endurance. It's disabling in your strength. But Jesus didn't just suffer in his mind. Jesus actually suffered in his body. And the Bible tells us in the book of Matthew that after he was arrested following his prayer in the garden, he was taken and he was put before Pilate. And Matthew chapter 27 reads this way. Then he released Barabbas. That was a tradition at this time. They would, could release a prisoner. So they chose to re release uh, a convicted criminal named Barabbas. And the Bible says, and when he scourged Jesus, then he delivered him to be crucified. Now the word scourged is a word that once again we can't fast forward through in this story because the word scourged means that a person in this case which was Jesus was stripped of his clothing. He was had his hands bound above his head shoved to the ground to a pole about this tall and his hands were cuffed to that pole. He was turned to two professional torturers who had wooden paddles with straps of leather with bone and glass and things like that, and they would take turns beating Jesus. That's what the word scourge means. It's an awful word. Um, it's, 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 a, it's a quick word to say in our language, but in that time in history, if you heard a scourging, it was one of the worst things that you could experience. It was actually the profession of those two men to whip people and beat people. And every time that leather would wrap around the torso, of Jesus, it would begin to rip the skin 
from his body until the Bible says his, his back was actually exposed. His vertebrae was exposed. And, and they said that he took 39 lashes like that. You were not allowed to give 40 because 40 lashes, 40th lash was the lash of death. They believed that you could not survive 40. Now, I read somewhere a few years ago that, that there are 39 different categories of sickness and disease. And for every category of sickness and disease, Jesus took a lashing for you. He took a lashing for cancer. He took a lashing for diabetes. He took a lashing. Um, so he was scourged, beaten by those tormentors. Verse 27 says, then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and they gathered the whole garrison around him and they stripped him of his clothing. They put a scarlet robe on him. And when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him, and they mocked him, and they said, All hell, king of the Jews. Then they spit on him, and they took a reed, and they struck him over the head with it. And so they took Jesus after this beating, and they took him to the inner chambers of, the, of a military compound. And there would be about 600 soldiers gathered around, and these soldiers would take turns spitting on Jesus. They would take turns beating Jesus over the head with, with their reeds. They would, they would just alter um, their, their accusations against him. They took a a crown of thorns that they had woven together and they shoved it down into the skull of Jesus and they put a, a robe on him. So this was all about to continue the scourging. This is actually called the scorning. And they continued to not only physically beat Jesus, but they hurled their insults. They mocked him. They made fun of him. So here's God's son being exposed physically, being exposed with his nudity, being exposed before this garrison of soldiers who are mocking him, who are spitting on him and making fun of him. And as, after he goes through all this, verse 31 says, and when they had finished mocking him, they took the robe back off of him, put on his, his clothes back on him, and they led him away to be crucified. So they took Jesus after this beating, they gave him a cross to carry, uh, a big wooden beam that he would carry through the streets as people jeered and cheered for his crucifixion. And they led him up a hill called Golgotha. Many of you have heard that. It's called the place of the skull. The reason why it's called the place of the skull is because it's surrounded by all of these caves and, and these caves made the face look like um, a skull and it could be seen by everyone entering the north section of Jerusalem and they could see the skull on the hill and everyone knew what this would represent. Usually you would see criminals hanging on a cross. You could see it from a distance and it was a reminder of them that they would be punished for their, their crimes and so it was called Golgotha. And as they brought Jesus up, they, they took spikes and they, they drove those spikes into his hands. They drove those spikes into his feet. They lifted that cross up and it fell into its place. And Jesus hung there between two thieves and they left him during the day and they left him there to, to asphyxiate and to die, dying between two convicted criminals. In essence, Jesus was convicted and he died for being a terrorist. And, you know, years back, that wouldn't mean as much to us as it has become uh, known over the last several years. But so Jesus was basically um, convicted and he died at death as a terrorist, as he hung there on the hillside in Golgotha. And as he, he, he was on that cross, he suffered not just mentally on the way there, but he also suffered 
physically. Not only did Jesus suffer in his body, but Jesus suffered in his heart. And once again, remember, we're, we're, we're trying not to fast forward to an empty tomb. We're trying to see what the last few days and hours of the life of Jesus was like. And the reason why he suffered in that garden mentally, because the pain of what he was going through was on his mind. The will of God was on his mind. And I do believe in some way, form, or fashion, you were on his mind. And I also believe that as he suffered physically... As he continued to fulfill the plan of God, why would he have to suffer physically? Because he had to suffer the sins of the world. He had to become the sacrifice in God's eyes for the sin of humanity. And I believe that's what kept Jesus on the cross because, you know, Jesus could have, in one word, spoken and called all of heaven down at that moment. But something kept Jesus on that cross. And I believe it was love. Love has this ability not to just see the here and now, but it has a way of seeing into the future. And I believe that Jesus, once again, was seeing into the future, seeing, guess what, how much he loved us in 2022 and how much he loved you. And not like the perfect you, not the good you that you have become, not the good you that's all cleaned up in your Easter garb today, but the bad you that was a mess. Y'all remember those days? The bad you, that was not as good as you are maybe right now, but he suffered in his heart. Matthew chapter 27 says this, now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over the entire land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with this loud voice and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know what Jesus was experiencing at this moment was something that I know a lot of you have experienced, but it's a rejection. I want you to think about this. From the moment that sin entered to the, in the Garden of Eden, God from that moment on was devising a plan to rescue, save, and redeem the earth that he created. And his plan included Jesus leaving heaven, his only son, coming to this earth Dying a horrible death in your place for our salvation. And as Jesus emptied himself of all of his glory and came to this earth, think about this. He experienced continual rejection. He wasn't embraced at his birth. He was born in an obscure time in a really small area. And the Bible actually says that he couldn't, even though he was teaching and preaching and ministering, Throughout all these villages, I mean, he was raising dead people, healing blind people, healing lame people. But in his own hometown, the Bible said he couldn't do miracles because, oh, that's just Jesus. See, he, he was rejected in his own hometown by the people he grew up with, the people he was around. Oh, that's just Joseph and Mary's boy. Not only was he rejected in his own hometown, but the disciples that had traveled with him and seen miracle after miracle and witnessed all of these amazing things, some of them rejected him when he probably needed their support, his, their support the most. Not only did his disciples even reject him, the religious leaders who should have known who he was rejected him. Many of the Jewish faith rejected him. And at the moment that he's hanging on a cross, when humanity and destiny is hanging in the balance, guess what? God rejected him. 
That may be a lot to swallow this morning, but we just read it. God actually turned his back on Jesus. And Jesus cried out, God, Father, why did you forsake me? Why would God turn his back? Because on Jesus, at that moment, were three things. Sickness was put on him. Poverty was put on him. And as I mentioned before, sin, the sin of humanity, your sin, my sin, was all put on the shoulders of Jesus. And it was so awful. Actually, some, some uh, uh, scriptures will tell us that when you looked at Jesus on the cross, he was so beaten you couldn't even tell it was a human. But I don't even think it was just the physical torture. I think it was sin, poverty, and sickness. And it was so awful that God himself had to turn his back and reject Jesus. And there's only one reason why, G why God rejected Jesus. So in the future, he wouldn't reject you. He rejected sin. And so at that moment, Jesus felt more rejection than you and I could have ever felt. Let's, let's read on in the story. It picks up in verse 50. Right after Jesus was facing the sting of rejection, verse 50 said, and Jesus cried out again. Remember, he just cried out and said, Father, why did you reject me? Then Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. The last thing Jesus knew was the rejection of his father. And the next thing that happened was Jesus yielded his spirit or he died. Then behold, as he died, the Bible says the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom. The earth experienced a massive earthquake. It's really where we get the word seismic. You know, we get the word seismatic from, from a seismic shift or seismic earthquake. That's this Greek word. The temple was torn from top to bottom, the earthquake, the rocks split open, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had died or fallen asleep, they were raised at that moment. Can you imagine this moment? The last thing that Jesus experienced was God the Father turning his back on him. The next moment, he takes his last breath as he is dying of his asphyxiation. They said the last thing that happens is your heart explodes. So his heart had been through so much physically and emotionally. At this moment, his heart explodes. He, he gasps and lets out his last breath. At that moment, there was a massive veil in the temple, and it just shredded in half. That was a symbol that you and I do not have to go to a priest. We can actually go right to Jesus. Darkness was over the earth. The entire earth experienced this massive earthquake. As this earthquake happened, rocks split in half. And sometimes we read over these little things that are in here, but the Bible said graves opened. And saints who had already died came up out of the grave and walked around. Now, don't fast forward through this story because can you imagine being there? I think there were a lot of religious leaders, a few people who had rejected Jesus, uh, even his disciples, his hometown, all the soldiers who had just mocked him and spit at him had to have thought something like this. Uh-oh. <laughs> at that moment, you had to know something was real. Well, what if we experienced that today? Obviously, if CNN covered it, it would have been covered differently. 
But if it unfolded before our eyes today, we knew that somehow, some way, this must have been the Son of God. But, but remember, at this place, he was scourged, he was scorned, he was crucified, and now he has died. And I, I would imagine it this way, that, that as Jesus breathed his last breath, the vultures were probably circling around. The wild dogs were probably off not too far from the cross because what they would do with criminals, they would take them off of the cross and they would just throw them all in a huge ditch. One reason why it's also referred to the place of the skull is because there were skulls and remains of deceased, crucified criminals. Actually, they actually resurrected that area several years ago and it still had a stench of death. And so as the vultures gathered around and the, the wild animals in the distance awaiting a, 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 another body, there was Jesus who breathed his last breath on the cross. And when he breathed his last breath, once again, don't, don't fast forward through this story because it didn't end there. Jesus didn't go from death to the tomb. Jesus went from death on that cross to descending into hell itself. Now think about this. They took the body of Jesus off that cross. They put his body in a borrowed tomb. But Jesus wasn't there. He descended into hell. There's arguments over this by theologians. But if Jesus was scourged and scorned and crucified and died on a cross, he also went to hell. He descended into Why would Jesus go to hell? So you would never have to go to hell. That's why Jesus went to hell. And if you study, if you study hell, you will find out that God never made hell for a human. It was only made for the devil and his demons. It was never made for, for him. But the Bible says it's increasing daily by those who have rejected Christ. They've rejected the gospel and they've died and they've gone into eternity without Jesus. But Jesus descended into the caverns of hell. And the worst part for Jesus being in hell was this reason. The first time in his life he had ever experienced separation from his father. God is not in hell. There is no light in hell. But Jesus descended into hell. But I love the fact that Jesus was never a victim of the cross. He was always a victor. Nobody took his life. He gave his life. And Jesus suffered in this story in his mind. And you've experienced some of that in your life. Jesus suffered in his body physically. And some of you may have experienced that. And Jesus suffered in his heart rejection. Most people have suffered that. But Jesus lastly suffered in his spirit. Something we all suffer in. Because he was separated from God. Away from God. And the moment Jesus died, hope literally died. Because he died and he went to hell. Because the sin of humanity, the curse was put on Jesus. And he went into hell itself. Far removed from heaven's glory. That's some of the rough part of the story. 
Those are the things that make the resurrection more valid to us. The cool part is that that wasn't the end of the story. Although it looked like hope died, all those who had followed him and sought him and confirmed him to be God's Messiah, now we're left with their Messiah being a corpse, being separated from him. But how many know that's not the end of the story? If that was the end of the story, we would be gathered here this morning in a memorial. There'd be no life in this house. We'd be remorseful. We would be saddened. We would be depressed. We would be discouraged. We would be um, downhearted. We would, we, we, we would be in a, we would not be able, what would we sing about? You glad worship had some life to it this morning? We sang about something positive. We sang about something dramatic. We sang about something that is, my wife said this morning, so it's just a morning of celebration. But how many know when hope dies and eternity dies, there, there, there's nothing to celebrate? But listen to these scriptures. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 10 said, the same one who descended is also the same one who ascended. Far above the heights of heaven. Why would he do that? Look what it says. In order to begin to restore and to fulfill all things. So you don't ascend unless you descend. So the one who descended is also the one who ascended. So the story takes a dramatic shift at this point. The, the, all of those, those of you who love the, the good ending, um, it, it, this will not end the way our binge-watching episode on Netflix ended. But he ascended, why? To fulfill all things, to restore all things. Acts chapter 2, verse 24. God destroyed the cords of death. Did you all get that? Destroyed the cords of death and raised him up because it was impossible for the power of death to hold him a prisoner. Death could not hold him a prisoner. I would liken it to this. When Jesus descended to hell, although we were without hope up here, something was happening underground. Something was happening in the caverns of hell. Jesus was not there as a prisoner. He was there as a deliverer. And the Bible said he came up out of hell and he set free captives. What does that mean? He went into hell. And I believe that, you know, all of hell was partying. The devil, all of his cohorts were celebrating, but Jesus came, guess what? To, to liberate and to break the power of death. This is why we can say today, death, where's your sting? Because Jesus took the sting of death. He took the power of death and he destroyed it. I, I, my mind is a little bit violent, but I, I kind of picture Jesus showing up in hell, grabbing some demons by the pointy little ears and horns they have, grabbing the devil, putting him in a headlock, doing a few body slams. I don't think, I don't think he left quietly. <laughs> why, why would I say that it happened that way? Because why did Jesus do, how did he do what he did? I can tell you why. It's because number one, God's a promise keeper and God's a God of power. That the power of hell itself could not restrain Jesus. Now, just a couple days ago, a, a friend of mine sent me a text, and he's been through some rough things in his life, and recently a, a really 
really rough health scare. And he sent me this, just talking about Easter. I hadn't talked to him for a while. He sent me this text, and I thought, these words are so true this morning. He said this. He said, Easter is good news. First of all, because Jesus rose from the dead. But he said, I want you to stop, and I want you to think for a moment what, what an amazing thing that is. The whole human history, the whole human history is one of death. Everyone has a birth date. Everyone has a death date. Some die young. Some live long, but everyone dies. It's been that way from the beginning, but you were never created to die. God created you to live. And yet every single human being from the beginning of history has died. And so when we read that Jesus rose from the dead, that is the good news. It means that somebody finally did it. Somebody finally beat death at its own game. Someone stared death straight in the face. They died, they were buried, and they rose again, and they are never to die again. That's the good news. In fact, that would be good news no matter who it is, but Easter is the good news, first of all, because Jesus did rise from the dead. Happy Easter to you and your family, and remember, this is what Easter's all about. Jesus broke the power of death. That's what Easter's all about. No human, no other power, no angel, no demon has ever been able to break the power of death. Jesus broke it. He faced it. He went there, got the t-shirt. Hebrews says this. Check this out. Hebrews chapter 4. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but he was in every point tempted or tested just like we are, but without any sin. What that means is everything that you have gone through or ever will go through, Jesus went through all of it as a man. Now look at verse 16. Because of that, let you and me, therefore, come very boldly to the throne of grace. And I love that. It doesn't say the throne of judgment. It says, it doesn't say the throne of condemnation. It doesn't say because you're an addict, you can't come. It doesn't say because you were a liar, you can't come. It doesn't say because you were a failure, you can't come. It just says because he went through everything, that we'll ever go through and took on everything that we put on him. Therefore, we can come boldly. It means frankly. We can come boldly to the throne of grace. And look what it says. When we get there, we find grace and we find what? Mercy. When we need it most. When you come to Jesus, although you did deserve to be rejected and condemned, you know what you find because Jesus went there overcame because he came out of the grave, got the t-shirt, been there, done that, because he broke the power of death, guess what? You can come right into his presence and say, I need grace and I need mercy. You can come and not get what you do deserve and get what you don't deserve. Uh, grace means the goodness of God that you didn't earn, you didn't merit it. It's undeserved, it's unearned. You get it because it's the gift of God. He says, you get grace and you get mercy. The word mercy means he throws you a rope. He throws you a rope. I love that verse. We celebrate Easter with an, with an empty grave. We sing about the cross. All valid. But I want you to know that Jesus is not in an empty grave. He's not even on the cross. Jesus, the Bible said he ascended out of the grave and continued to do miracles. 
but he ascended to the throne of God. Right now he's at the throne of God. And you say, what's he doing at the throne right now? The Bible said he is praying for you. He's, he's praying for your, for your needs. He's praying for your desires. He's, he's praying. He's praying for your addiction to be broke. He's praying for your marriage to be healed. He's praying for your lost thoughts to be found. He's praying for, isn't that good to know that all of heaven has been praying for you? Right now they're praying for you. And this morning as I was getting ready to come here, I, w- I was sitting there having a coffee and I said, God, why? What, what, through all that anguish, what kept Jesus committed to the cause? I don't have the scripture on the screen. But also in Hebrews, it says this, fix your eyes on Jesus. How are you going to get through the world we're in right now? How are you going to get through the challenges? How are you going to get through the, 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 the anger, adversity you might be facing? Fix your eyes on Jesus. The Bible said he's the pioneer and he's the perfecter of your belief or your faith. And then I love the end of it. It said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He endured it. Why? For the joy set before him. He endured the scorning. See, the cross is all about shame. It's your shame. It's your sin. It's your thoughts. It's your actions. It's your failures. It's what you don't want exposed. It's a place of shame. And Jesus endured it and sat down at the right hand of God. When do you sit down? When you're finished. And he finished the work. Why? For the joy that was, he endured the cross for the joy. What was the joy? You coming to know him, you receiving him, you believing in him, you embracing the gospel. That's why he endured the cross. He endured the cross because he knew that you were going to have a problem with addiction. He endured the cross because he knew that you were going to have a failure in your life. He endured the cross because he knew you were going to be jacked up and messed up. He endured the cross for you. Not, not the good you now, but the messed up you. That's why I endured the cross. So I, I would like you to think about this this morning. Because Jesus coming, suffering, dying, resurrecting, and sitting at the throne is an amazing story but it's not the happy ending. The happy ending is when you say, Jesus, I receive you. I believe in what you did. That's the happy ending. And I would like all of you to think about a decision this morning. Think about a decision that we just will call making room for the work of Jesus. suffering in his mind, his body, his spirit, and his heart. He's been through everything that you could suffer. And we all suffer the spiritual suffering. But Jesus made a way. All you need to do is make room.